Welcome back to Unbossed. I'm Ravonna Filligan for Senator Nina Turner. You caught me jamming out to the music a little bit there. I hinted at yesterday how much I like the intro, but now you got to see my little my little sway. Don't forget everybody to subscribe, share the stream, send some love in the comments, which I will be reading after our first break. And don't forget to send some love to who's joining me today, Benny. Carollo, who is a breakdown contributor or the breakdown contributor, excuse me. Benny, thanks so much for joining me. I don't think we've done a show together in like since since last Pride Month. So Yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a hot minute. So I'm glad that you're gonna be here breaking down the stories of the day with me. Are you ready to get into this first one? I can. All right, let's do it. Elon Musk might be in some legal hot water due to what's happening at a Tesla factory in California. NBC News reported that Tesla may face a class action lawsuit after 240 black factory workers in California described rampant racism and discrimination at the electric automaker's San Francisco Bay Area plant. Including frequent use of racial slurs and references to the manufacturing site as a plantation or a slave ship. So. You'll remember that there's been several lawsuits against Tesla for racial discrimination and sexual harassment in the past. But the facts that we're going over today were happening in Fremont, California. So lawyers suing Tesla estimate that at least 6,000 workers could be a part of the class. The individual testimonies are a part of a 2017 lawsuit brought by Marcus Vaughn. Who complained in writing to Human Resources and to Tesla CEO Elon Musk of a hostile work environment in which he was called slurs by coworkers and supervisors? No investigation was conducted, and he was fired for quote not having a positive attitude, according to the lawyers. I've got some more, but I want to stop there for one second to just say um, the fact that there was no investigation by the by Tesla. Uh, is one of the reasons that lawsuits like this end up being successful because that's a step that companies have to take to shield themselves from liability, which is why I always think it's so funny when conservatives complain and complain about workplace sexual harassment training, workplace diversity training, because most businesses that have those trainings only have them in place to cover their own asses when they inevitably get sued for the actions of their workers. Um, so Tesla having had an onslaught of, of racial discrimination claims made against it and not even having you know the organization or the you know bring the foresight to bring in a lawyer to you know protect themselves in the future, I think shows that Tesla's organization is deeply disorganized. Um, but let's continue on here. Uh, back to the NBC News report. Last year, California regulators sued Tesla in state court, alleging the company turned, quote, a blind eye to abuses. And then Musk told workers to be thick skinned about racial harassment. Elon Musk told workers to be thick skinned about racial harassment. In April, a federal jury awarded another former Tesla employee $3.2 million for racial abuse he suffered. I. Elon Musk is the most thin-skinned man in America <laughs> or wherever he is at any given moment. The most thin-skinned, easily offended individual. And he's gonna tell his employees to buck up when they're faced with racial abuse, just absurd. But lastly, let's finish this out by talking about this order to pay that Tesla was hit with back in April, $3 million for this racism suit, according to CNN. The case was brought by Owen Diaz, who worked as an elevator operator at the plant. He reported he regularly heard racial slurs, including the N-word on the Fremont factory floor and saw racist graffiti in bathrooms and a racially insensitive cartoon. I mean, Benny, this is just a, a company that can't get its stuff together and it must be encouraging this sort of environment of racial abuse because it seems completely systemic from all of the different accounts of what's going on. And to be able to certify a class action lawsuit, I mean, this is egregious. Yeah, it's incredibly egregious. And it really speaks to, I think, Elon Musk as a person. Because like, to be honest, Elon Musk is the perfect case study in like the pathetic mediocrity of white supremacy and how our system props up some of the worst people on the entire planet Earth. Because aside from just not knowing anything about what he's talking about ever and having silly ideas and you know, like just being one of the most ridiculous, pathetic people on the planet. Elon Musk has a ridiculous amount of money that he, of course, got from his family. 
family in apartheid South Africa, which speaks to this whole history of like racism that Elon Musk grew up with and the obvious reality that there's no way that he hasn't got beyond that mentality. And I think that fundamentally speaks to a greater reality that we need to recognize as a society that fundamentally, if you want white supremacists to not be in power, if you really want to dismantle white supremacist institutions, you actually have to go to the root of the power. You actually do have to do things like take away people's ill gotten gains. You have to redistribute wealth that was accumulated during colonialism. Because people like Elon Musk, if you don't actually rectify the imbalance of wealth that happened as a result of these colonial projects, you will have them running around with these horrific ideas in their head, implementing them in real life. And that is how you get lawsuits like this. But I mean, seriously, like, this is from a complaint that happened in 2017, it's been six years. And that speaks yep. to how shameless and pathetic the United States is and actually responding to things like this. I mean, six years is a very, very long time. And so it's good that this lawsuit is happening, but this lawsuit needs to be, I think, a lot bigger than what it inevitably will be. Absolutely, and at the beginning of that, you mentioned propping up incompetent people. So I think that's a perfect segue into our next story. Fox News host Jesse Waters has some thoughts on remote work and they are disturbing and creepy. So everybody watch this. If I'm the boss and my workers pull this garbage, this is what I do. I start garnishing wages mm. and then I start docking vacation days. Good. And then you know what I do? What? I get my private security guards to go over to her house on a Thursday afternoon at three o'clock to see what she's up to. Nah. Maybe I find her at the mall. Mm. Maybe she's at TGI Fridays throwing back cocktails. Maybe I have footage <laughs> of her trying on blouses at Ann Taylor. Resources on frivolous, petty things like that. However, I damn well please, I'm the CEO of this company. And then she says, you know what, I'm firing an HR company. Against you. I said, you can't file one because you just got fired. And then you know what I do? I hire someone half her age and pay her half her salary. Yeah. Maybe I'm in her closet. Maybe I'm trying on her clothes and staring at her through the closet slats. Maybe I'm collecting her hair up off the ground. You're a creep, dude. How did you say any of that without a moment of self reflection of how disturbing that sounded? It was grotesque. And of course, he has a history of being a creep. But I mean, Benny, <laughs> how does someone say that without, I don't know, shriveling up and dying? <laughs> like, that was so messed up. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, like, this is the heart of capitalism. This is literally capitalism right here. A lot of people have this foolish idea that somehow under capitalism, you get some sort of democracy. But in no sense has capitalism ever been a democracy. It's not capable of democracy. It is just a bunch of segmented, petty dictatorships where, if you are a worker, you are subjected to the whims of your employer. And unfortunately, in our society, we still have like this assumption that if you're working for somebody, basically every component of your life deserves to be scrutinized by your employer. And so while this is a very extreme example, it's incredibly creepy and invasive example, that's just capitalism. Like that is literally what our system is built on. Every facet of capitalism is incredibly invasive and creepy. I mean, quite literally, you have people who have your entire livelihood, your finances. You know, you can be homeless if 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 you lose your job. And so, at the end of the day. These are the types of people that are empowered by capitalism. These are the types of people who succeed under capitalism because it is their ruthlessness. It is their willingness to dehumanize people. It is their lack of regard for basic human decency that allows them to thrive and succeed in the current system that we have. And so fundamentally, this is just a case study in the harsh reality that everybody lives under. Because on a certain level, this isn't that much different than your average manager treating your average you know, waitress, right? Like fundamentally, it is the same core dynamic. And it is why there's so much like systemic abuse and misogyny and racism deeply embedded within our society. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think you're right, if you, if you sort of, Take away all of the stuff he said that made my skin crawl and the hair on the back of my neck stand up and make me want to run out of the room. What it really is that he's saying is that he's threatening to retaliate against a worker for insinuating that they're going to file an HR complaint, which is a violation of the Civil Rights Act. It's illegal to do, but it happens all the time. It happens 
every day to workers. And if you don't have the money or the capacity or even just the knowledge of how to file a claim, you know, with the EEOC or file, you know, a discrimination claim, if you don't know how that process works, you know, whether it's in your state or at a federal level, you might just be out of luck. You might just miss the deadline for filing it or if you don't have the money to do it. It happens all the time and employers get away with it constantly. Um, but as long as we're talking about how creepy Jesse Waters is, I would be remiss if I didn't remind everybody on how he met his wife because it's disturbing. So people reported that on a previous episode of the panel series, Waters said that he once let the air out of now wife Emma Digio Vine's tires when he was trying to get her to date him. She couldn't go anywhere. She needed a lift, I said, hey, you need a lift? She hopped right in the car, Waters recalled at the time of how they got acquainted. Um, another thing it wasn't mentioned in that quote, but she was working at Fox News at the time, just started there. He literally preyed upon this woman. He went out into the parking lot and took the air out of her tire so that she couldn't drive her car home and positioned himself in such a way that he could offer her a ride in his car. He's, it's not just a creepy behavior, that's predation. He's a predator. Yeah, no, seriously, that is above and beyond creepy. Like that is that is like horrific nightmare stuff, right? Like you, I mean, literally that sounds like a plot from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is what I was thinking. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, wait, that literally is a plot from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Like this is like the level of just like horrific monstrousness that exists within like your average political right winger. Because let's not pretend that this is just some isolated incident with Jesse Waters and that there aren't like, like literally hundreds of right wing influencers and just their followers that do exactly this type of stuff on a regular basis. Right, I mean, how many Fox News hosts have uh, you know been outed as sex predators? And you know, I mean, Bill O'Reilly comes to mind as one, literally using his position to prey upon women. Um, and apparently, Jesse Waters is out in the parking lot letting tire out of women's uh, uh, car or air out of women's tires because they'll have to get in his car because of the implication. Um, that being said, we have to go to a break right now, but stick around because we'll be right back with more on Bust. Welcome back to Unbossed. First, I want to say a huge thank you to all the TYT mods who keep the chat clean, safe, and fun. Much love to all of you. Um, and then I want to remind everybody that for only $4.99 a month, your contribution can help keep TYT independent and allow us to continue reporting the facts corporate media doesn't want to tell you. So help us fight for a future where the media doesn't do the bidding of the establishment. See how you can make an impact at tyt.com impact. And if you haven't already, you need to go subscribe right now to TYT's weekday morning newsletter. The progress report, I'm sure most of you have already done it. But for the few of you who are thinking, huh, I don't know what that is. Go sign up right now while I tell you what it is. Every morning, we're gonna give you the best progressive news analysis and reporting. The big stories that the corporate media are botching, we're gonna tell you what's actually happening in them. The stories that the corporate media is missing or suppressing, we're gonna give them straight to you. And original reporting from TYT as well. So you can scan this, the QR code on the screen or go to tyt.com slash newsletter to sign up. That being said, let's get into what you guys have to say. Over on Twitch, Diablo Verde says Ray and it's just Vegas says Benny. And OctoSquiddy says Benny and the Ray, very cute. Thank you for the love over on Twitch. Um, YouTube Super Chat. Um, Maze says the beat is so 70s, right, right, that's, it's so good. It's perfect for the show too. Um, Winston Sayer says they got those South African apartheid vibes over there. Yeah, Elon Musk brings the type of <laughs> apartheid vibe that <laughs> employment attorneys don't like in the workplace. <laughs> um, and then Juan <laughs> Diablo Verde says, if you work for that creep, you already effed up. I can't believe I didn't just say that word. I'm surprised I censored it myself, honestly. Um, so I'm gonna high five myself. And then let's go over to the member section. Mountain Dragon says, Ray and Benny, happy LGBTQ plus month to both of you. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. Thank you, that's very sweet of you. 
And then don't shoot on the goalkeeper says Ray and Benny. Hell yeah, hell yeah. And we're speaking of it being Pride Month, we're gonna talk about someone who is deeply disturbing and has been a symbol of homophobia in this country for almost a century. And we're gonna talk about, <laughs> all right, let's just jump into it. Christian television evangelical and all around evil dude, Pat Robertson died at 93 today, taken too late. Shortly after a neoliberal pundit told people how they should react to Pat's death. And it has me asking, WTF, neoliberal. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. Brian Krasenstein, no relation to Ken Klippenstein, a writer, entrepreneur, and social media political pundit posted on Twitter following Robertson's death. Let's pull up the tweet. He tweeted, Pat Robertson, a religious broadcaster, political commentator, former presidential candidate, and the host of the 700 Club has passed away at 93 years old. I fiercely disagreed with many things this man said and stood for. But to see people on Twitter posting things like rest in hell, Pat, or attacking him on the day of his passing disgusts me. Well, he's giving me the idea to go on Twitter right now and tweet rest in hell, Pat. Um, but he continues on even posting what should seem like a harmless picture of Robertson. Let's pull that up, here it is. Harmless is hard to, to use to describe this picture. He looks like he just stepped off the set of the Land of Confusion music video. That barely human looking in that pit. It's like a, a claymation recreation of Pat Robertson. Anyway, what Krasenstein had to say about it was be better than that. Criticize him when he's alive to push back because we all know Pat Robertson was active on Twitter at pushing back against the criticism. We're all levying against him. But he continues, but don't attack him on the day that he dies. It's also important to realize that older generations and those who follow religion often think differently than many of us. It's fine to argue that they are misguided and misinformed, but to pretend they are evil is disingenuous. We can all do better than we are. If I offended you with this post, look in the mirror. Well, well, Brian Krasenstein, I don't have to pretend that Pat Robertson is evil. He was evil. He was just pure evil. And we're gonna get into some of the specifics and the ways that he was evil in a minute. But I just wanna say to Brian Krasenstein, to whitewash Pat Robertson as someone you just had an ideological disagreement with is disgusting and disingenuous. He didn't just think differently than us. He was literally homophobic and xenophobic and excruciatingly racist. But you know, for Brian to completely gloss over his history is laughably pathetic, which is a great way to describe the Krasenstein brothers. And it's akin to when some Democrats attempt to invoke the name of Ronald Reagan as an American hero and a patriot, despite the fact that he described AIDS as a moral failing and allowed thousands and thousands of people to die of AIDS while he was president. So we're gonna get into the specifics of, of what Pat Robertson did during his his pathetic life that makes me say these things about him on the day of his death. But Benny, I want to bring you in here first on this, just to talk about how frustrating it is. We had this with Rush Limbaugh, the you know the neoliberal line that you can't criticize someone just because they died. Yeah, I mean the harsh reality is the liberals that say that are on some level just as evil, right? They're very similarly evil because like these are the same people who will run around unironically asking the transgender question because they mm-hmm. just have some questions about trans people, not realizing that they are actively supporting these people. And so like that's the thing. These liberals are just as evil as these people are, right? As these like Pat and Robertsons are. Because what they do is they provide legitimacy and cover for them. And so they don't like the idea of somebody saying rip bozo to people like Pat (laughs) Robinson, right? Because of course, they're doing the same thing. They're the people like, I do declare, yes, we must ask the transgender question. What a very interesting intellectual discussion. And so no, yeah, you're evil. If you're running around saying like, how dare you say this about this sweet, innocent, religious man. I don't care if you're from a different time, queer people existed in those times too. I don't care if you're religious, there are plenty of queer religious people, okay? I genuinely do not care. If you are running around calling for like the 
extermination of queer people. If you're running around trying to criminalize our existence, I think you're evil. And if you're one of the people that is just asking questions to engage with people that you just have some ideological disagreements with, then you're in the same boat because you already have decided that the humanity of queer folks is a question to you. Exactly, or to even you know do this sort of song and dance where you're essentially whitewashing Pat Robertson's legacy. You're saying that you don't value queer people because the damage that he did to queer people, the attacks against our community, it's not important to you. What's important is that we give Pat Robertson respect in his death that he didn't earn in his life. And let's just talk about how much he didn't earn respect during his life for a moment. Um, so here's some examples of the things that he said while he was alive. Here's a headline um, from New York Magazine. Pat Robertson does it again. He hopes gay people and Muslims kill themselves. I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to you know, be happy that this man is no longer walking this earth. But he was allowed to in his life say things like that he believes that gay people and Muslims should kill themselves. I owe him respect. I just stopped myself from saying something that I cannot say on the show. But let's continue on. Let's push right through to this next headline. Pat Robertson, gay marriage will lead to God's wrath, turn US into Sodom. Never mind the fact that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible is about, you know, not being good hosts to people from, you know, who are from your who are staying in your house or from a different community staying in your community. Never mind that. As you know, as a preacher, he maybe should have known that about what the story actually meant. Um, but let's get into even more, more evil things that Pat Robertson had to say. Here's his theory on HIV. Go ahead, watch. San Francisco, some of the gay community, that they want to get people. So if they've got the stuff, they'll have a ring. You shake hands, and the ring's got a little thing where you cut your finger. Really? Yeah, really. I mean, it's that kind of vicious stuff, which would be the equivalent of murder. Be respectful to this guy who claims that people are intentionally infecting other people with HIV to recruit them to be gay. I have I owe him respect in death. Okay, but when Pat Robertson wasn't being homophobic, uh, you know, the, the little amount of time he wasn't, he filled that time by being racist. Case in point, this is what he had to say about Haitian people following a massive earthquake that killed hundreds of thousands in 2010. Christy, something happened a long time ago in Haiti. And the people might not want to talk about it. They were under the heel of the French, uh, you know, Napoleon the Third and whatever. And they got together and swore a pact to the devil. They said, "We will serve you if you'll get us free from the French." Mm. True story. Haitians revolted and got themselves free. But ever since, they have been cursed by by one thing after the other. Desperately poor. They've been cursed by colonialism, Pat, by colonialism and imperialism. Um, anyway, anyway, that that aside, there's still more about Pat Robertson we can say. Here are his thoughts on critical race theory. This is what he had to say about critical race theory. Pat Robertson calls critical race theory an evil, urging black people to take quote whip handle against whites. And not even to mention the fact that Pat Robertson said that 9-11 happened because of gay people. It was God punishing America for having gay people in it. So Brian Krasenstein, don't you dare tell people how to approach the death of a man who made a living off of being a homophobic, xenophobic racist. Shut the hell up.
Benny, <laughs> it's been a lot. Your thoughts Wait. on all this? You're telling me that 9/11 wasn't because of gay people? Oh my God, I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to give away our credit that we got on that one. Yeah. Oh my God, no, these people are like such pathetic people, and they're so evil, and it's just ridiculous to be like, oh, you know, you gotta feel bad for them. Look, I. This is why I highly encourage everybody to just purge the phrase tolerant left from your brain. If you consider yourself a tolerant person, stop right there, rethink it. I actively encourage people, do not be tolerant. Have love for humanity, have love for queer people, right? Have love for people of color, have love for all the different people out there in the world that are just trying to live their lives peacefully, okay? And do not tolerate the people who wish them harm. You actually don't need to tolerate those people. And because tolerance implies this idea of like you, like you literally tolerating something that would otherwise be objectionable, right? So either you actually have love for people who are. Hope you're muted. Oh, we missed the last of that. You got muted in the middle. Oh no! Oh no! I'm muted. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it had so, a JR yeah. moment. <laughs> Have love for people that are different from you, and do not tolerate people that wish them harm. The people who are just trying to like live peacefully and comfortable lives. You should you should genuinely have love and enjoyment. And so don't tolerate the people who just tolerate other people. Don't tolerate the people who aren't tolerating. Right. Uh, you just fundamentally have to have genuine love for people and accept the fact that sometimes that means hating people like Pat Robertson. Exactly, and as long as we're talking about people we should hate, that's the perfect segue into our next story. Um, bringing on another homophobe here, former vice president and current 2024 GOP primary candidate Mike Pence had a CNN town hall in Iowa yesterday. Let's take a look at what he had to offer. Protect kids from the radical gender ideology and say no chemical or surgical gender transition before you're 18. We're so uh, adamant about parents' rights. But in this particular case, parents who say that along with the doctors that what is best for their kids, what their kids feel most comfortable with doing is a gender transition that the parents should not be allowed to do that. Right. Look, I, look. This the state has the obligation to see to the safety and health and well-being of the people of the state, and I, I accept that. I look. It, I, I take your point. I take no, your it's point. No, it's a question. I, 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 look, it's a this, question. Well, we have a foot in America is a radical gender ideology that has taken hold in our schools, has taken hold in our universities. It's it is a foot across the nation. Mike Pence, who will never be the president, even if he's the last person left on earth, has some thoughts about transgender children and how he thinks that it is wrong to allow children to go through gender affirming care, despite the fact that he's perfectly fine with torturing kids and conversion therapy. Aside from that, <laughs> he wants you to know that he actually cares about protecting the children. But let's actually talk about what's going on across the nation and the anti-trans bills that have come up up this year. So let's pull up this image. So 2023 anti-trans bills tracker shows that in 2023, anti-trans bills continue to be introduced across the country. It's an organization that tracks legislation that seeks to block trans people from receiving basic healthcare, education, legal recognition, and the right to publicly exist. So there's been 556 bills in 49 states. 83 passed, 369 are still active and 104 have failed. So it's not just the rhetoric that he's, you know, giving on stage and you know, even though he will never be the president, there is force behind this attempt to enshrine bigotry into our laws and you know, to restrict the civil rights of trans people in America. And let's look a little more closely at that from the Associated Press. By the latest count, at least 20 states have imposed bans or limits on transgender athletes participation at the K through 12 or collegiate level. And at least 18 states have adopted laws or policies, including some blocked by courts, barring gender affirming medical care, such as puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and surgery for minors. And aside from his continued insistence on being the anti-trans candidate, 
Pence was asked about his old boss and current enemy Donald Trump. So let's look at how that went for him. So I want to ask about some breaking news. Tonight, the Justice Department recently informed Donald Trump's legal team that he is a target of a federal investigation into possibly mishandling classified documents. I should say you were cleared last week in your own documents case. What's your reaction to the news about your former boss? Well, let me say that the handling of classified materials is a very serious matter. Investigation into obstruction, which you clearly did not do. If that is something that investigators see as possible, even enough potentially to indict the former president, do you think that that should go forward? Well, I would, I would hope not. Number one is I think it, I think it would be terribly divisive to the country. The handling of classified documents is extremely important, which is why I was the vice president for the biggest doofus the RNC could find in the parking lot of an LA tan, because I value those <laughs> documents. I mean, there's more that he said, but first I wanna bring you in on these first two points, Benny. That First, of course, his attacks on transgender children, specifically and adults as well, and his you know attempt to insulate Donald Trump while weirdly trying to distance himself. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, first and foremost, I want to get across the most important thing to understand when it comes to transition related care, but especially for trans youth. It's literally just puberty, right? I need everyone to fully like understand that hormone therapy for trans youth is literally just puberty. Every puberty has risk, whether or not it's cis puberty or trans puberty. And it turns out, I know this is a big surprise, the effects of estrogen are pretty consistent on people. And the effects of testosterone are pretty consistent on, on people, regardless as to whether or not somebody is cis or trans. So the whole thing is just making sure that kids are able to go through the puberty they're the most comfortable with at the normal puberty age. If cisgender kids can tolerate puberty, then guess what? So can trans kids. It turns out that it's actually not more complicated than that. Anybody that wants to fear monger about permanent side effects, you know what has permanent side effects? Okay, going through puberty. I know, <laughs> what a shocker. Oh my God, this is the first time we're learning this, right? Because apparently we live in a country that's filled with children that are just paranoid about anything that they don't fully understand. So, yes, it's literally quite that simple. It is just about making sure that kids are able to go through whichever puberty they're the most comfortable with, and it's just that basic. Uh, taking that away is horrifically evil. Because imagine, imagine you're like a, a teenage boy or whatever, and somebody's forcing you to take estrogen against your will. It turns out you'd probably be pretty upset about that. That is literally what's happening to, to trans men across the country. And I understand the focus on like the, the bills targeting trans kids because there's more of them. But there are a couple states that have tried to effectively ban trans care for adults as well. Missouri tried to do this, Florida tried to do this. This is more than just, oh, you know, we're protecting children. This is quite literally people who are trying to exterminate trans people. They do not want trans people to exist safely in society, right? And so you can see that with the bathroom bills, for example, where if you do use the bathroom that they want you to use, you will still get hate crimed and get the police called on you. And then as for like defending Donald Trump, of course, Mike Pence is gonna defend Donald Trump. Cuz at the end of the day, right, the entire Republican Party is just a party of cowards, right? That is it, they are the party of cowardice. Every single thing that they do is built out of fear and terror of some mythical other, fear and terror that this big strong man might criticize them on Fox News, Oh my God, right? And it's just so pathetic, right? And it, they're pathetically dangerous. And that I think really encapsulates the entire Republican Party. So of course, they're gonna like shrug about like, oh yeah, you know, you know Donald Trump with the classified documents. Because at the end of the day, they are just a, an entire party of pathetic cowardice that is turned into just this dangerous vitriolic hatred. Yeah, and it's particularly pathetic when it comes to Republicans, you know, shying away from criticizing Trump because you know that he's not going to shy away from criticizing them. Trump doesn't care that you were his former vice president. That's not going to stop him from calling you Mini Mike or or something something like that on the debate stage. He's still there's going to be an onslaught of attacks. On you from Trump. I mean, we saw yesterday with he photoshopped Chris Christie's speech so that he looked like he was delivering it at a buffet. I mean, this does not care if you play nice with him. It's not going to stop him from from attacking you.
Um, but let's let's get to this last point that was touched on at the town hall for Mike Pence. He was asked about the gun violence epidemic and remind everyone watching, gun violence recently became the number one cause of death in children in the United States. Gun violence is the number one cause of death of children in the United States, according to the CDC. But here is what Mike Pence had to say when asked about gun violence. Back to something you said about expediting the processing right. of people who engage in mass shootings. A lot of people who are mass shooters, they go in with the intention to die. So how would the threat of execution be a deterrent? Well, I follow these stories just as closely as you do. And of course, our years in the White House, we saw one tragedy after another. And, and I know we hear that and we, we see evidence oftentimes in the aftermath that they went in without regard to whether they would survive. But I, I just believe in the deterrent of the law. He believes that somehow somebody who goes in to commit a mass shooting with the full intention of either killing themselves or being killed by the police at the end of it is going to be deterred from doing so. Because there's a law that says we're going to execute you if you do this. For the love of God, Mike, that's what they want. They want to die. And I'm sorry, these aren't the rash, these aren't rational thinkers. These are people who are committing mass murder. There's no rationality behind that. These people are insane. <laughs> you think that they're going to read that, you know, Indiana passed a law saying that you can get the death penalty for committing mass murder. You think that's going to stop them from committing mass murder? They were going to commit mass murder. They're not rational actors. For the love of God, you moron, you fly-headed moron. So once again, he was just stumped and he had to give that gibberish answer and there's a problem here though for Mike Pence. So let's pull up this headline from The Independent. Mike Pence would rather see armed school guards than gun control reform. So Pence would rather that we punish the shooters after the fact than prevent the mass shooting, right? His, his deterrence of law, bogus BS answer, by the way, as I think I just maybe articulated as I was pissed off about it. Uh, but then he wants to just punish the shooter after they've already done the killing. Good job, Mike. Big brain stuff coming out of here. Ga some might say galaxy brain stuff, right, Benny? <laughs> yeah, no, most definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, we need to understand that, look, mass shootings are a central part of right-wing governance, right? Yeah. Like mass, like any type of like public violence, randomized violence, these different types like terrorist type things that happen, they are a central part of right wing governance. Because fundamentally, if you look at who the mass shooters very often target, it is marginalized people and vulnerable people. And they create this climate of fear and it helps Republicans on two fronts. One, the climate of fear helps them bolster the police state and all of the lovely things that they use to oppress marginalized people on that level. And then also when you realize that a lot of these people are white supremacists that commit these you know different mass shootings and stuff like that you start to realize that oh by targeting marginalized people they're making marginalized people more afraid to actually exist in public and that is something that the right wing absolutely loves and so the reality is it's not just that republicans don't want to do anything to stop these mass shootings, it's that Republicans actively benefit from them. And that is why, that is why they refuse to do anything against it on top of the layers of just the profits for gun companies and things of that. Like at the end of the day, mass shootings, randomized violence, things like this are a central part of right wing governance and they always have been. Absolutely, and I think you're spot on that they utilize that that threat of an actual, you know, committing of physical violence. But let's let's move on and talk about how they weaponize economic violence against particularly vulnerable and marginalized people, and how there's a couple, actually a couple hundred Democrats in the House who have a plan to possibly combat that. So we all remember that the child tax credit expired in 2021. And shortly after millions of families suffered with kids being thrown into poverty. And despite the ability to do so, the Democrats didn't reauthorize it and let it expire. But the current administration in Congress, like I said, they did nothing. They really didn't even try to revive it. But now there's some House Democrats who are looking to change that. And Common Dreams reported on this. 
stating that as congressional Republicans intensify their assault on vital social programs, a trio of House Democrats on Wednesday reintroduced legislation that would make permanent the expanded monthly child tax credit, a policy credited with lifting millions of US children out of poverty. The American Family Act reintroduced by representatives Rosa DeLauro, who's a Democrat from Connecticut, Susan Del Bean, who's a Democrat from Washington, and Richie Torres, Democrat from New York, and also backed by 204 House Democrats, would ensure the permanency of the expanded child tax credit. As established in the American Rescue Plan, which is the sweeping $1.9 trillion pandemic relief package signed into law by President Joe Biden in March of 2021. The expanded CTC expired at the end of 2021 amid the Omicron surge of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so let's get into a little bit of how the legislation is broken down. Brett Wilkins from Common Dream laid it out for us. So the legislation would continue the $300 monthly credit for children age six and younger while expanding the maximum child tax credit to 250 per month or $3,000 annually up from $2,000 under the previous policy. The bill also provides the full child tax credit to quote left behind children by revoking a rule limiting the refundable portion to $1,400 per year and eliminating the earnings requirement that previously excluded about one third of eligible children from the full credit. So what happened to the, I mentioned it that the Democrats let it expire. So what happened to the child tax credit? Um, well, one Senator whose name I'm sure you've all heard way too many times in the past couple years, uh, Joe Manchin, hand in hand with the Republicans and several other Democrats helped kill the expansion of it. So let's look at some headlines from January of last year. Um, first from CNBC, Joe Manchin reiterates that he won't support enhanced child tax credit without a work requirement. Despite the fact that Joe Manchin is the senator from a state that has one of the highest rates of poverty and child poverty in the country. And the fact that the child tax credit uplifted um, so many children out of poverty. Four million children out of poverty. Anyway, let's continue on. So not only that, let's look at this next headline that shows just how depraved Joe Manchin is. Manchin privately raised concerns that parents would use child tax credit checks on drugs. You sick, you sick man, Joe Manchin. These are deaths, these are poor people being lifted out of poverty, they're using it on the necessary resources that you and other members of Congress have made more expensive for them. But let's just show how pivotal, how pivotal the child tax credit was to American families. So it reached more than 61 million children, lifted nearly 4 million children out of poverty and decreased hunger by 26% provided financial lifeline to families to meet, help meet the rising costs of living. And it was the largest middle class tax cut in a generation. And it's great that these representatives are reintroducing the enhanced child tax credit, but it always feels like it's a little too late with the Democrats. And I'm you know, not sure, there's a really good Supreme Court ruling today that is going to help the Democrats possibly take back the house in 2024. But you know, as long as you have, you know, Republicans or <laughs> Democrats in name only, like Joe Manchin, who are willing to stifle, you know, this type of sweeping legislation, this pivotal legislation for the American people. I don't see, I don't see much change coming through this. Benny, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this is just shameless and evil because, like, I mean, think about it. Because if you understand, oh, the child tax credit lifted four million children out of poverty. Well, that means that Joe Manchin put four million children. Into poverty, but right? mm -hmm. that is what that does. like ending the child tax credit puts millions of children into poverty. And the whole line about drugs is just silly on its face. And like, let's be honest, Joe Manchin is from like, you know, Joe Manchin is very much from the war on drugs era of politics, very much on board with that. So when you hear a politician say, "Oh, I don't know if we can help poor people because they might use it on drugs," like we all know that that's just a racist dog whistle to his base, mm -hmm. right? Like, are we all tracking on that? Like, we should be on the same page. And it's just wild to take this and compare this to countries that the United States actively demonizes, because for example. 
example, like I think it was two years ago, China had successfully eliminated extreme poverty and their country is three times the size of ours. And yet we are supposed to be the functioning democracy when we have elected officials that are actively placing children into poverty. We have Republicans across the country that are demanding that children pay for their school lunches. I mean, the state that I live in, Minnesota, is relatively unique in the idea of, oh yeah, maybe school children deserve free school lunches. What a bold, wild idea. So, so what a you know, a bunch of evil communists apparently running the state of Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so shameless, it's just so pathetic. And I think it speaks to like the deep, deep evil that exists within the American political system. Exactly. And even if I was gonna, you know, accept the premise of Joe Manchin's argument that some parents might use the money to buy drugs, isn't it better for some of the four million kids to be uplifted out of poverty and some of the parents buy drugs than for no money to go out and for four million kids to be in poverty? Like if you're even if you believe that racist dog whistle, it's still better that some kids are lifted out of poverty. It's absurd and it's such a ridiculous thing. And you're right, it's just a racist dog whistle to his base because it was publicly leaked. Obviously, he intended for it to be publicly leaked so that he could get, you know, he he could whistle to that wing of the party. Um but speaking of that wing of the party, let's jump into this next story that I think is really concerning. So in Oklahoma, the path has been cleared for the nation's first publicly funded religious charter schools. So let's dive into this reporting by ABC News and discuss exactly what's happening in, in Oklahoma. So according to ABC News, the Oklahoma statewide virtual charter school board voted 3-2 during a special meeting on Monday to accept the Catholic Archdiocese of Oklahoma City and Diocese of Tulsa's application for an online public charter school, which as a public school would be funded by state tax dollars. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt applauded the board's quote, courage to approve the St. Isidore of Seville Catholic virtual school. Pause there for a second. The courage, the courage to approve sending taxpayer dollars to a religious institution, the courage to do that. It was brave to flagrantly disregard the first amendment. It was brave to dismantle the separation of church and state. We applaud you school board and your bravery, get real, that is insane. But let's continue on <laughs> with this reporting from ABC News. This is a win for religious liberty and education freedom in our great state. And I am encouraged by these efforts to give parents more options, more options when it comes to their child's education, Stitt said in a statement. Oklahomans support religious liberty for all and support an increasingly innovative educational system that expands choice. Following the board's vote on Monday, the American Civil Liberties Union and Americans United for Separation of Church and State said they are planning legal action to quote, stop the unconstitutional plan of opening a non-secular public school, which honestly with this Supreme Court, I, I, you know, and this is the type of case that would get there. I wouldn't hold my breath because this is a Supreme Court that said it was okay for a high school football coach to kneel down and lead the football team in prayer at the 50 yard line while hand in hand with a state legislator. And that that was somehow a private act of prayer. Justice Alito, you absolute buffoon. So I mean, you know, and, and it wouldn't even be the first time that the courts have allowed public taxpayer dollars to flow to religious institutions when it comes to charter school programs. They couldn't stop parents from using the taxpayer money that's going to the, the vouchers that's allowing them to send their kids to a private institution if that private institution is a religious one. Parents are allowed to use vouchers to send their kids to religious schools and the vouchers are funded by taxpayer dollars. But this is an egregious affront to the separation of church and state. Um, and let's talk about what the Oklahoma Attorney General had to say and actually was against the school. Uh, he tweeted this out. It's extremely disappointing that board members violated their oath in order to fund religious schools with our tax dollars. And doing so, these members have exposed themselves and the state to potential legal action that could be costly. And that is a good point because now the, the school board, the state is gonna have to defend itself in court against the onslaught of <laughs> lawsuits that are gonna be brought against them by organizations that are well-funded like the ACLU. Um, but this is, you know, 
a new breed of public charter school that's being opened. And according to the Washington Post, the fastest growing sector of right wing charters combines both a classical quote virtuous curriculum with hyper patriotism exemplified by charter schools that adopt the Hillsdale 1776 curriculum, which is centered on Western civilization and designed to help Students acquire a mature love for America, Jesus Christ. The Network for Public Education said it had identified 273 open charter schools that offer a classical curriculum and or have websites designed to attract white conservative families with for-profit management corporations running 29% of them. A percentage nearly twice as high as the entire charter school sector. And I'll just quickly remind you of the history of you know the, um, you know, the rapid increase of private religious schools was because it became illegal for schools to segregate based on race. So white parents wanted to find a way and conservatives wanted to find a way that they could get around uh, <laughs> get around desegregation and continue to send their kids to all white schools. And that way was private Christian schools, particularly in the South. Betty, this is a massive this is an egregious attack on on religious freedom, despite what they, uh, you know, the people who pass this want us to believe. Yeah, no, most definitely, because the point that you make is very, very excellent because it speaks to the history of the United States. It's important to understand that the United States really was the world's first experiment in fascism. Like fundamentally, at its core, since the very dawn of the United States, it has always been a fascist country in ideology. It has always been wildly genocidal. It has been incredibly violent. It has used a lot of different tactics of mass terror and vigilante violence to enforce various systems. And as different movements sort of progress things mildly forward, what you ended up having though, like it was this big turning point after the civil rights era where they realized that they could use they could use basically evangelical christianity white evangelicism as a vector to inject a sort of new flavor of white supremacy under the guise of religious freedom so that all of the very overt fascism just becomes a little bit more subtle and they just say oh it's about religious freedom it's about religious rights about protecting christian values and things like that and that fundamentally is how we got to the point where we are at now, where they turn the First Amendment on its head. Because to be honest, the First Amendment was never really there to protect like marginalized people. It was never really there to protect like marginalized religious identities. It was always fundamentally there to protect the most powerful and privileged. And we are seeing this that while it technically is breaking the word of the law, the spirit of the law in the United States always been always has been white supremacist fascism. Yeah, exactly, and I think you touched on some important points there. Um, and I I think what's really concerning to me is, and I mentioned this earlier, but I'll just reiterate it now. The reframing of this as protecting religious freedom, as a victory for religious liberty. When you're right, all it is is a victory for white supremacy, a victory for uh, Christian nationalism, because it's not, I'm sorry, they, they didn't approve a, a Muslim school here. They didn't approve a, a Jewish parochial school. It's a Christian school <laughs> in a Southern state. I mean, let's get real, this was always what the plan was. And now they have the balance of the court in their favor. So this is why we're seeing this happening now. And we'll keep monitoring it and keep all of you updated. But that is all the time we have today. Benny, thank you so much for joining me today and having such a fun discussion of these ridiculous stories. And I want to wish you a happy Pat Robinson died day. <laughs> or Pat Robertson died. Um, and to all of you out there watching as well, um, there'll be, is today Thursday or is it Friday? Today's Thursday, so there'll be more on Boss for you to check out tomorrow. You've got to stick around right now and check out JR on the watch list right after this. Um, but until then, thanks for tuning in on Boss will be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.